Good morning, everybody. My name is Ginny. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's really good to be with you. Um, we're still moving on in our um, series on the Psalms and talking about what it means to be um, people who pray, especially people who pray in really dark and hard seasons. In this season of Lent, we kind of lean into that, into this idea that um, things there will be moments and seasons in our life that we have no control of that feel really dark and really hard. And so how do we be the kinds of people who can lean into those spaces, who can lean in really well into um, times that are hard. And so we've been reading the Psalms, which are um, prayers, songs um, by people who are going through very hard things and who are incredibly honest with God. And it's been a real gift to be in the Psalms and to be studying these scriptures as we move through uh, not just Lent, but what feels sort of like a collective, um, really dark time for a lot of people. Um, and so let me pray for us before, before we jump into the sermon. God, I, I'm so grateful for church, um, for the song we just sang, the confidence we can have knowing that you hear us. What an honor it is to, to pray to you and to know that you are listening intently. I'm so grateful for Jesus, who is our advocate, who pleads before the Father on our behalf. And so when we pray, we join our prayers with him to a Father who is listening, who is all ears to the things that we might say, who requires nothing of us in terms of how well we say it. Thank you, God, that this is who you are. Teach us to be people who pray like the psalmist. Help these words kind of like bury themselves deeply within us so we can be praying people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a good little psalm. Um, it's shorter than a lot of the ones that we have read so far in the season of Lent. Um, it's just two stanzas, and yet um, there's a lot that's happening in these two stanzas. It's basically uh, this person is experiencing, um, has, has had kind of two realities going on at once. One, that like really good, real things have happened in their life, that God has uh, really answered some prayers and done some amazing, incredible things in the life of the psalmist. And then this kind of second half that if you wouldn't know it, you kind of just jump right into it, um, where obviously things are not well. Things are not the way that they used to be. Um, these kinds of uh, begging God to like let good things happen again like they used to is happening in the latter part of this psalm. And we've all been in the, that reality, the seasons where all the good things are happening and we're very grateful for who God is and the way that God is working in our life. And then in the seasons where we're like, why can't you work that way again? You know, um, where we recall those, those things that God has done once. And, you know, the thing that really hit me as I've meditated on this psalm this week is this sense that this person praying this prayer is in a really hard place, but has a very sound mind. Do you know what I mean? I don't have a particularly sound mind a lot of times when I get into a hard place. I remember when COVID first hit, that was my prayer for myself because everyone was going bananas. Do you remember? Um, Lord, would you give me a sound mind? Like, let me feel all of my feelings, but let me have a sound mind. And that is what really hit me over the, the week of reading this psalm. Even though they're in a dark place, they're able to, like, appeal to God in really sensible ways, and that they're not shoving away their feelings. I think a lot of times we can lean either into, when we're in hard places, hysteria, 
kind of a rewriting of the narrative, losing our minds kind of thing, or we just become apathetic because that's much easier. And I think that's, that's the majority of us in most situations. We all have our moments of hysteria <laughs> because we're humans. Um, but the easier thing to feel is, is this sense of apathy. I've been reading this book um, by Kathleen Norris called Acedia and Me. And acedia is this like term that the church fathers and mothers used as a way to describe a sort of like spiritual apathy. And so this is what she says in the book. When life becomes too challenging and engagement with others too demanding, acedia or apathy offers a kind of spiritual morphine. You know the pain is there and yet you can't rouse yourself to give a damn. And a lot of us, I think, especially over the last few years, and especially in regards to our life with God, have allowed ourselves to become apathetic. And I want you to hear me say, I don't think that's because we're evil. I think it's because we're really tired. And the Lord knows that. And so what do, what do we do with that? Um, so this, this text for me has been a sort of jolt of reality, that being a Christian means contending. It means fighting, because what we have is very real and very worth fighting for. And it's, it is not something to, to close our eyes at, to fall asleep in, you know? That Jesus is a very real person who we must fight for. And when we start to feel those feelings of apathy, we have to start moving towards him. When we go into those places of darkness, that instead of the, like, the, the inclination that we have to move away from God, that we would fight against that, like fighting against the tide, that we would move towards God. So in light of all that, I felt uh, there are three places of the Lord was leading me to think about and linger on, and especially with this idea of spiritual fighting. So the first one is contending with nostalgia. So in this psalm, the first stanza is really good things are happening. Um, there's a recollection of an incredible moment in the life of the psalmist, wonderful things that the Lord has done. Uh, what the psalmist is actually doing here is something called anamnesis. Have you guys heard this word? You've heard of amnesia, where you forget things? Anamnesis is like a spiritual discipline of remembering on purpose. Like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to remember the things that the Lord has done. I'm going to write them down or I'm going to call someone and tell them. I'm going to pray to God and thank him for what he's done. So that's kind of what's happening in the first part of this psalm is this anamnesis. Um, it's a great way to pray. It's a great way to tell God, like, you have done this before. Can you do it again? Um, so it's a good way to pray. It's also a way to just inspire hope in yourself, to remember that God has done something good for you and in you, and that God can and will do it again. So this, this is kind of, this is a wonderful thing. It's a subversion to the kind of foggy spiritual minds that the enemy wants us to have. Uh, it's a very good and righteous thing to remember the deeds of God. And yet I think it's important to say um, is that sometimes there's a risk in remembrance that's not a very spiritual act. Um, and that's, that's nostalgia. It's not like bad at its core. But what happens when we dwell too long um, on how good the past was is we begin to see less and less the gifts in the present moment. We miss the presence of God like right where we are because we become sure that God is somewhere else. God is back there wherever my life was there. And if I can get myself somehow back to that place, then I'll find God again. Then I'll feel God again. I had a friend who um, for a really long time was, was sort of relationally uh, shackled because he had in college found a community of people that was wonderful and like really transformative in his life. 
And um, then he moved to Georgia, and we were not what he wanted. <laughs> and and um, it took years of, like, real grief for him. Um, moving through, like, whatever I had is no longer what I have now. And kind of refusing to work f- towards whatever that could be. It took a lot of time and a lot of conversations and a lot of prodding from people to say, like, you have to leave this thing behind. It was, like, shackling him to the way things used to be. And I'm not saying he wasn't right for remembering it well and having like incredibly deep roots of gratefulness. Can you imagine being the people who were in the old community? You know, like if he really felt that way, how, how wonderful you'd feel about that, how grateful you'd feel. But when we let the past steal from the present, we're not doing the work, the spiritual work of remembering this anamnesis thing. We're not doing that. We're, we're pulling ourselves into a place that no longer exists. God wants us to be free like free enough to live in the present and not be afraid of it and really sink your teeth into it and be aware of the constellations of God that are all around you, the very real things he wants to do in you right here and right now. So I also want to say that some of us have nostalgia for the future. You know what I'm saying? In a way that chokes the reality of life around us. Our dreams and intentions for our life can sometimes rob us of the gifts of the present in a way that nostalgia for the past also can. Um, The comparison of our present with our past blinds us um, to what's available right in front of us. And I'm not saying dreams aren't good. Dreams are really good. Um, The psalmist here is talking about having dreams. There are evidence that we have hope. If we've stopped dreaming, then we've certainly become apathetic but we can't let them steal from the joy and the gift of the present moment that we're in. God wants us to contend with uh, nostalgia and with dreams that are taking us out of the place so that we can receive all that's right in front of us, right in front of us from Jesus. So the second thing I want to say is, is contending with God. Um, talk about contending with God. This line kind of that shifts the psalm from this remembrance to um, a place of uh, prayer of um, praying for something that they really need. It says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. When I think about the really hard places in my life where I've needed a prayer and it's been really hard to find something to pray, this is a really good line to pray. This is a really good thing to have in your back pocket to pray um, because this is a, an intercessory prayer. This is like standing before God and saying, um, no more fluffy words, you know. Um, this is what I need. This is the thing that I need right here and right now. So what the psalmist means by this, um, restore, like the watercourses of the Negev, uh, what this is referring to is the topological and meteorological reality of life in ancient Israel. As our friend Rich preached about last week, Israel is not a very wet place. It's a very dry place. And so these watercourses, these were either like man-made or just maintained kind of stream-like things um, that were the source of water in ancient Israel. And these things would fill up with water when it would rain, and they would kind of be the supply of water for the people and for the animals in the land. And these would dry up because it gets very, very dry in Israel. And then because of the way that things are situated in Israel, in the land, um, when the water would come, when the rain would finally come, it was not like just enough to fill up the watercourses. It would fill up the watercourses and it would overflow and flood into the fields. And then everything started becoming green. 
and brimming with life. It was like an ultimate perfect transformation that would happen from like the dryness and then after this flood, things would be changed. The way everything looked would be different. And that's what the psalmist is recalling right now and praying for and asking God for in a metaphorical way. God, would you not just like hand me a cup of water, but would you like fill up the earth? Would you flood the earth with your goodness and with the things that I need? This is your duty and privilege as a Christian to pray these kinds of prayers. It is our job to pray these kinds of prayers, not just for ourselves, but for others. This kind of rend the heavens and come down prayer is the kind of prayers we need to be praying for Ukraine and Syria and Afghanistan and South Sudan and all of these refugees in our world who have no place to call home anymore. It's the kind of blessing we need for COVID. It's the kind of blessing, kind of the prayers we need to pray for for racial reconciliation and justice. They are not quiet prayers. It's the same kind of prayer Dr. King prayed, that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness is a mighty stream, that the kind of blessing of God would overwhelm the landscape. That's what we're praying for. It's the prayer of a friend of mine who's woken up to the reality of... um, being in a, she's realized 20 years, been in a marriage that's toxic and abusive, and she's just now realizing all of this because she's been pushing it under the surface. And these are the prayers that she's praying. It's intercessory prayer. It's our, it's our job, our privilege to pray these prayers. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses of the Negev. We as Christians have to always and forever contend with the fact that God is good and things aren't as they should be. And that's what intercessory prayer is, is contending with those two realities. So the last is contending for joy. Um, This is what C.S. Lewis says in his little book on the Psalms. Our life, our being Christian life, our life as Christians being begins by being baptized into a death. Our most joyous festivals begin with and center upon the broken body and the shed blood. There's such a tragic depth in our worship which other religions lack. Our joy has to be the sort of joy that can coexist with that. So how do we have that kind of joy? What kind of deep joy do we have to have in order to um, coexist with the tragic depth of our worship? Resurrection. That is the joy that we get to have as Christians. That is the answer to all the questions of like, how do you do this? How do we get through this? What will happen in the end? Resurrection is the ultimate answer for all of those things. It's why we can have joy. It's why Paul said, if there is no resurrection, we are above all the people most to be pitied. The resurrection is our joy. And that's what this second part, I think, is a resurrection story in this psalm. It says, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. So what I would argue is what the psalmist is saying in this text, what I think the word of God is saying to us, is that there is a very real spirituality to our weeping, to our grieving. Like spiritual laws of motion, what you sow in tears you will most certainly reap in some kind of way in joy. It's just how God made the universe. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. It's why I think it feels so offensive when people try to move us on from our grief. 
they're denying us what is our reality, our kind of metaphysical reality as beings who are made to grieve. When people say things like, it'll be okay, or you'll meet them in heaven, or just trust God, it steals from this act, this part you were meant to play, this thing you were created to do, to sow tears and emotions, grief, like seeds in the ground so that God can bear fruit of something better, something more substantial out of it. And we're given more permission to grieve. I think it's when we know it's necessary and not just a process, but it's, it becomes like a starting place for something new God wants to do in our life. It's the same thing with the Lenten season. It's why we lean into this, the dark place in this season. It doesn't have to be grief for you. If you're like, why does this lady keep talking about sadness? Um, Maybe not be you. You may be very happy. And yet Lent is a time for all of us to to admit to the Lord and to the people around us, these are the ways in which I have not lived up to be the person that I was meant to be. And in doing so, we are sowing the seeds of repentance so that God can raise up in us uh, a new life of resurrection and joy so that the things that we sow into the ground, the, our confession of our sins, grows out something better, a newer and better version of ourselves, someone who looks more like Jesus. This text is showing us that maybe grieving well and being honest about where we are is how we contend for joy in our lives, not denial. I'm not just talking psychologically here, although y'all know I love psychology. Um, I'm talking about a very real way God made the universe. I'm convinced of it. Because resurrection is real, we now know that whatever dies gets brought back to life. And the same is true for the things that you have to grieve. They come alive again. So we have two weeks of Lent left. And if you have some work to do, now is your time. Like, you haven't missed the season. Um, It may be a time for you to confess or, you know, come to terms, maybe with some things that are real in your life that you've been pushing off. Maybe it's some time to grieve something. Maybe not even something recent. Maybe something really old. Um, But God wants to do this work in us. He wants us to, like, be able to be open so that he can make something new in us. I love the literal translation um, of this text that we kind of lose a little bit, but it says, he walks along and weeping carried the seed bag. He will come in with shouts of joy carrying his sheaves. We owe ourselves the dignity of being emptied out in our weeping, in our experience, our emotions, our grieving, so that we can have empty hands when the joy comes in. We can be fully open to what the Lord would have for us to restore to us. I know this was a heavy, heavy sermon, but I think it was very necessary. Um, Had someone come up at the end of the last service and talk about a recent diagnosis, uh, life-altering diagnosis and something that they are going to now have to walk through and haven't let themselves grieve yet. And it kind of like burst open, you know, at the last service that like this thing has to come out in some way. And the prayers that we then got to pray together was, Lord, what do you have on the other side of this? You know, what joy that we can grieve for now that you will raise up and you will birth new life in on the other side. Paul tells us to work out our faith with fear and trembling. 
which is a scripture I have never liked, <laughs> um, but it is very real and very helpful. Um, I don't like the idea that maybe I have to tremble, you know, in terms of my faith, or maybe that I ought to be afraid, um, which isn't true. Jesus says, uh, you know, don't be afraid so many times. But the, the verse is so that we know the depth and, and reality of the thing that we're fighting for, that it's not a light thing. It's something worth contending over, something worth struggling for, something worth fighting for. And leaning out of this place of apathy is where we must lean in. It's what Lent teaches us to lean into. Lean out of the place of just doing whatever you need to do to get through the moment and lean into what Jesus would have for you. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.